According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me this morning once again in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, we're in verses 17 through 21. It is a five-verse section, very unusual in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Typically we've been accustomed to single-verse units, poetic units, Um, but we have an introduction to a section here that uh, takes us five verses long and it's very similar to uh, the first seven verses of the book because it forms an introduction to a collection. And uh, that's what we're going to pick up on here this morning. Also before I forget, um, uh, we're not going to be having class next week, so just so you know, uh, after this morning it'll be two weeks before uh, we come back again for our next Proverbs class. We will have evening service next week, just not the morning schedule. So uh, just wanted you to know that. All right. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things? Or we're going to discuss 30 things that uh, many people believe the, the verse should actually say. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you or those who sent you? All right, so that's our introduction to the words of wisdom. Before we begin this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that we have to study to show ourselves approved. Father, we thank you because this is what you command us to do. And as we obey your commands, Father, we are blessed. I thank you for the blessing and the pleasantness that we'll see here this morning. It's pleasant to take the Word of God and internalize it. So we thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so when we do reach verse 17, um, we really need to have a pericope heading there. And the New American Standard Bible does not have a pericope heading there. Uh, such as you have at the top of your uh, chapters um, on life and conduct, on life and conduct, on life and conduct. Several of these recent chapters have all said the same thing. Well, we need a a pericope heading there in between verse 16 and verse 17 that says the sayings of the wise. The sayings of the wise. And this is going to take us all the way down through chapter 24 and verse 22 because that wraps up this section. The 30 sayings are complete by the time you get to 24, 22. And then the last bit of chapter 24, which is verse 23 to the end of the chapter, these also are the sayings of the wise. And so you have a final collection that that got uh, tacked on to the end there uh, before you get to chapter 25. When you get to chapter 25, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so chapters 25 and following represent a separate collection of Proverbs that was only canonized uh, during the lifetime of of King Hezekiah. In other words, when Solomon died and uh, what he had finished, what was then at that point uh, the canonical book of Proverbs, was much shorter 
than what is for us the canonical book of Proverbs today. And I hope we're clear with that. And uh, we'll, we'll have some more to say on that I think as we get specifically as we get to chapter 25. Um, but be that as it may, uh, we have a section heading here. And in this section heading, it starts in verse 17. The words of the wise begin here at 22.17 and run nearly to the conclusion of uh, the personal and public wisdom portion of the book of Proverbs. And, and you know, it's my simple outline that we started way back in the day. Uh, we just took the book of Proverbs and basically divided it into three chunks. Chapters 1 through 9, which I titled Parental Wisdom. Chapters 10 through 24, which I titled Personal and Public Wisdom. And then chapters 25 and following, which I titled Additional Wisdom. Okay? And it may not be the most original outline you ever saw in your life in uh, the book of Proverbs, but I think it works. It's functional. I'm going to stick with it. Um, and uh, we'll just take it uh, on that basis. So starting here and taking us almost to the end of chapter 24. And I'm not going to go back through this. I think it is useful to to get the, the biblical record on Solomon. How many Proverbs did he write? How many songs did he write? And uh, how did he also consult with other kings and other wise people of his day and age? Because it's not an issue for us if these are the uh, words of the wise that Solomon collected from other sources. You know, does anybody have a problem with that? If, if Solomon ob- observed wisdom from another source and said, I like that, I'm going to use that, and then the Holy Spirit said, this belongs in the Bible, and so he uh, recorded it in the Bible. To me it's no different than the Apostle Paul quoting uh, you know, Menander or Epimenides or some pagan poet and then uh, taking a snippet of what that poet had to say and putting it in, in his sermon, putting it in his message. Doesn't mean that that prophet or that that, that poet is, is canonical. It just means that that particular verse had a usage in the New Testament. Same thing here. This wisdom belongs in the Bible because the Holy Spirit put it there. And we can uh, certainly appreciate that. All right, so when we get to the introduction to this section, it is five verses long. It is verses 17 through 21. It introduces the 30 sayings. It introduces the words of the wise. And it is very reminiscent. It does remind us of the introduction to the book of Proverbs itself. And you recall verses 1 through 7, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And then we have in these verses from 2 to verse 7 kind of a um, an introduction um, an exhortation, a, a, a sales pitch, <laughs> if you will, a, a statement of why you want to read this book. It is a reassurance that, that these Proverbs are marvelous. So to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we end up with a a seven-verse or a six-verse introduction there that kind of launches the entire collection, launches the entire canonical book of Proverbs. And then we can say, okay, starting with verse 8, now we're going to start to have the, the first of the parental wisdom uh, appeals that, that are made on behalf of a father and a mother that are pleading with their son to, to uh, listen to them. 
<laughs> All right, so that's the introduction to the book, seven verses long. The introduction to this section, to this collection of the, of the sayings of the wise is, uh, is five verses long, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, five verses long. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you that they may be ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you. And so this then becomes the introduction to this collection that follows starting in verse 22 and taking us all the way through chapter 24 in verse 22. The 30 sayings of the wise. Alright, so it starts then with eagerness. The inclined ear expresses an eagerness. When it says incline your ear and hear the uh, imperatives that we have common throughout the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament alike. In fact, seven times in Revelation is he who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit communicates to the local churches. And so um, we have a, a principle that applies. It spans all the dispensations. It's not just limited to the church age that born again believers in Jesus Christ have spiritual ears. That when you are born again, when you are no longer in Adam, when you are saved, you now have the spiritual capacity to take in the Word of God. That you have a living human spirit. And that living human spirit can process doctrine, can process the truth of God's Word. And so you have an ear and you need to incline it and you need to use it. You need to listen to what God is telling you. So inclining your ear expresses an eagerness, a readiness, an excitement. I can't wait to hear what he says next kind of attitude whereby we are positive to doctrine and um, we have a greater appetite than we've ever had before. This idiom is used of believers that are eager to learn the Word of God. And uh, this should be the expression for all of us. And I think it is much of the time. And honestly, it's not much of the time. And we need to be very honest with ourselves and our own spiritual appetites if uh, we're going through a season where we're not as eager as we used to be, then we ask ourselves why? Why is that? Why am I not jazzed about doctrine the way I used to be? And why uh, am I starting to drift into a take-it-or-leave-it mindset for uh, attending Bible class? as opposed to the eagerness that wants to be there every time the doors are open. So this is the idiom that we have as it expresses the eagerness. And I think we can all understand this. We've seen it ourselves, we've seen it in family members, we've seen it in church members. And uh, I think it's part of the testing that's common to man and I think it's also part of the, um, the stoicheia, the elementary principles of the cosmos that attitudinally start to affect our, our uh, thinking, which is why the Bible warns us about those stoicheia, those elementary principles. All right, Psalm 45.10, Listen, O daughter, and give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. We talked about this as we were running out of time last week. The great Psalm 45 that speaks of the bride, speaks of the queen of the, uh, of the king. And eschatologically of course we can relate this to the church as the bride of Christ and prophetically the king who will be seated on the throne of David when Jesus comes to, uh, to conquer and to rule. 
And so there's applications there. But the idiom that's used of an eagerness, give attention and incline your ear, that speaks of an eagerness, but it also speaks of a diligence. And we're going to talk about that secondly as well, the diligence whereby, or the attentiveness, where we apply our mind to not just what we hear, but we process it, we think it through, and we relate it to other things that we have heard, or we relate it to things that we haven't heard. And because we want to uh, be thinking God's thoughts as He transforms us in His plan. So that's the expression there. Psalm 49, 4. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. And so this is uh, not only hearing, but also expressing. The, uh, not only the, to process what you hear, but then to be able to communicate it to others. So there's an expression. And this uh, I think is also useful as well when, uh, for example, we, we have it in Hebrews where by this time you should be teachers. Uh, at some point, if you've, haven't, you learned enough, haven't you learned to the point where now you can be teaching your younger brothers and your sisters? And it's not just learning, learning, learning to be the maximum Bible dictionary or Bible encyclopedia and the, the, the arrogant Bible know-it-all, but you ought to be uh, reaching a point where now you can be a teacher for those that are younger. I appreciate that as well. There's an eagerness, inclining my ear. And we do something, we have similar idioms in modern English. We have different, you know, now hear this, or pick up your ears, or you you put your hand behind your ear like that because you want to have a better opportunity to hear. That's all inclined ear speaks to. What you don't want to do is plug your fingers in your ear and do the la, 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 I can't hear you, can't hear you, I can't hear you. See, it's the opposite of that. Pull your fingers out and listen to what God has to say. You know, when you consider the great privilege that it is that God didn't have to speak to us, but He chooses to speak to us. It's, it's an honor when you talk about being entrusted with the oracles of God, when you consider the blessings of our stewardship that God has deigned to reveal himself to human beings in human languages and we have the privilege to study to show ourselves approved, why would I not want to pay attention? The creator God of the universe is talking to me. The one who laid down his life to purchase my redemption has something to say. Why would I not pay attention to that? So Psalm 78.1, listen O my people to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell it to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. What a great introduction there in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4, that not only speaks to eagerness, but also speaks to the the uh, the joy of being able to convey it from one generation to the next to the next. And we convey it faithfully so that that next generation can take it forward after we're gone. They can convey it to the generation that we never see because we're going to be you know old and dead and gone by the time that next generation comes along. So I appreciate that as well. The use of the word parable, by the way, that's mashal, that's the same as a proverb, that's the same that we're we're dealing with. Proverbs and parables are the same thing. Jesus was a great teacher of Proverbs because he was a great user of parables in his teaching methodology, which of course we studied for 10 years in the Life of Christ series. Then the eagerness that comes up again and again in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 2.2, my son, 
If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. This actually blends two metaphors because it has the ear and the heart where they are inclined and where they are attentive. And so we have, yeah, kashav and then natah for the incline. So this is a little bit of an adjustment to what we're looking at in chapter 22. But you can incline your ear, you can incline your heart, you can incline your eyes, you can incline. The whole idea of inclining is that you're, you're lifting it up, you're looking to God. You're, uh, you're, you're turning your face to God for what He has to say. You're not turning your back on God to ignore Him and uh, do your own thing and look at your own entertainment. Proverbs 4.20 My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Again, there's an eagerness, there's an attentiveness. That means you, you, you can't wait to hear what comes next. That uh, you're, you're ready to accept it. That you're uh, humble before the authority of the Word of God because it's coming from God, not just from the opinion of man. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, you're not just, you're not just learning it to take it in and then forget about it. You're learning it to take it in and keep it, to treasure it, to, to lay hold of it. So, um, you know, in other words, it's not in one ear and out the other. Okay, you want it to go in one ear and stay there and and keep hold of it. Don't let them depart from your sight. You know, and we and I think as human beings, uh, the nature of the memory is what it is, but and the nature of the fallen memory is what it is. But I think the nature of the carnal memory wants to forget the things that it wants to forget. And uh, whereas, of course, in humility, if you have the right eagerness and you're memorizing and you're taking to heart, then uh, how do you forget that? because you're always keeping it fresh. So keep them in the midst of your heart. They are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Anyway, we'll have more to say on that when we get to those concepts. Chapter 5 and verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. So there's the eagerness and um, again and again and again the, the parents go through this and they go through this with their children and I think it's necessary to go through this with their children um, repeatedly uh, at various ages uh, particularly when they reach that phase where they think that they don't need to listen anymore because they know everything and they know more than you do um, and then you need to reinforce it harder no, no, listen to me, listen to me and uh, that, that stage there where um, you know, they're not truly children, but they're not fully adult. And they're in that awkward, almost stage in between of adolescence. And, uh, and that's, it's good testing. It's a good testing venue because um, it becomes a humility exercise and it becomes a volitional recognition that I'm still where God has placed me and He's not yet placed me in my own generation yet. So anyway, that adolescent arrogance has to be humbled and worked through because uh, if it's not, it becomes an adult arrogance that has to be humbled by God's immediate hand. So that's Proverbs 5.1. Again, incline your ear, my wisdom and my understanding. 5.13. And this is a regret because this is an, an after the fact looking back to say, ooh, I didn't do this. I should have done this. I didn't do this. And uh, the person that... Uh, 
fornicated, committed adultery, and ended up ruining his life through his own sexual immorality. Strangers, uh, so you've given your vigor to others. Strangers, your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Because not only are you providing for your own legitimate children, but now you're providing for your bastard children and you're making other payments uh, for uh, other consequences. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. You've got physical consequences with disease and other ramifications of not being faithful to your wife. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. And that's the worst thing of all is because you know that you knew better. You know that you were warned. You know that you were told that uh, that, that behavior was unacceptable. But you hated it. You spurned the reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. And so there's uh, not only marital consequences, but societal consequences. And uh, particularly in the theocracy of, of ancient Israel, not so much anymore today, culturally. Um, of course, you'll still, uh, you'll still face uh, you know, the, the, the marital consequences and, and financial hit there. But um, it used to be that the morality of our nation was such that an immoral man wouldn't be trusted as the CEO of a company, that he would be viewed as, as defective, that he would be viewed as, as someone that, that didn't have the integrity to run a corporation because uh, of the, the personal issues in his life that were deemed to be uh, uh, wrong, were deemed to be problematic or, or inappropriate. Um, now, of course, it's anything goes and you shouldn't be judgmental and whatever else. All right. And then finally, 2217, where we are today. Now that's one idiom. That's, probably, that's not even the most common idiom, where the inclined ear reflects an eagerness to learn the Word of God. More common than that, though, is the same idiom, but it's used as a command and it's used in prayer towards God. So this same expression of inclining the ear is used in appeals to God in prayer for His eagerness to hear our prayers and provide. And you'll notice, again, Psalms and, and uh, Proverbs, but we also have it in, in uh, Second Kings and in Daniel, some of the, the highlights here. They should be very familiar to us. But it's the idea that we're, we're barking orders in our prayer life, that we're telling God to listen up. We're going to God in prayer and saying, God, are you listening to us? <laughs> i got something to say here, God. Are you paying attention? And if that seems to be um, impertinent, if it seems to be uh, wrong on our part, we need to evaluate whether you know this is how God has established it for us and what it is that God in His very nature delights to do. And we'll talk about that. But let's see these, uh, see these passages first, starting with 2 Kings 19.16. So here's the prayer of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is being surrounded. Jerusalem is on the edge of destruction. The Assyrians had already swept away the northern kingdom, and now they're at the gates of Jerusalem. And uh, they're, they're demanding their surrender, and they're taunting that, uh, that Yahweh can't rescue them because Yahweh didn't rescue the northern kingdom. And so they bring this letter in, and 
Hezekiah is just going to take it and lay it before the Lord. You know, like uh, you get a bill in the mail and you can't pay it and you just take the, you slap it on the table and say, all right, Lord, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? That's yours, okay? I can't deal with this. The king takes this surrender letter and throws it on the table and starts praying over it. Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and I just love it. He just lays it out, he rolls it out all flat, takes the scroll and rolls it all out and gives it to God. Do you see this? Are you listening? Prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all kingdoms of the earth. You have made heavens, heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. This is powerful. This is, I, I love this. This is like, um, this is the same attitude David had when he, when he was listening to Goliath taunting the armies of the living God. And David said, I'm going to go in that. That's, God can't be pleased with that. <laughs> that uncircumcised Philistine, he's going to be like a lion or a bear. He's going to be dead when we finish this encounter. And, and Hezekiah here has the same attitude, taunting the living God. So incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Now that's, that's a human being commanding deity, telling God what to do. Listen to this and see this. And uh, we're going to see it's not unique. This is not alone. I think the mature prayer life tells God exactly what to do and tells God what He can't do. Abraham did it. Moses did it. Jesus did it. I think we have uh, examples of that. And uh, we need to make the appropriate adaptation in our own prayer life in, in these things. So listen and hear. Open your eyes and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to reproach the living God to reproach the living God. And he goes on. Uh, Psalm 17, 6. You know, and it's, it's, it's our blessing to inform the Lord. It's our blessing to make it known. And we don't just sit back as fatalists and say, well, God's omniscient. He knows everything. <laughs> okay? Yes, He is omniscient. He does know everything. But He's also relational. He also communicates. In everything that He knows and everything that He created, He created by speaking. He created by communicating. Let there be light and there was light. All right, God spoke and the universe sprang into existence. He is the sovereign creator but He is also the infinite communicator. And He wants us to speak to Him. All right, Psalm 17. And uh, this is a prayer of David's. Hear, a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry. That's how the psalm begins. He's telling God what to do. Listen to this and pay attention. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. <laughs> All right, God, you know I'm not lying to you. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept 
from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So that's his five verses to introduce, and we've already seen appeals and commands and and these expressions here. But you'll notice, by the word of your lips I have kept from the powers of the violent. He is conformed to the truth of God's word. He says everything he's lived, he's lived in conformity to the word of God in his heart, his, his thoughts, his words, his deeds. Everything is adjusted to the standard of God's righteousness by the word of God. So if David's carnal somehow, if he's out of line somehow, you know, God didn't write it. Because <laughs> everything God wrote is what David's living by on this occasion in this chapter. All right. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my speech. I have called upon you for you will answer me, O God. And this is, this is valid. This is how David prays. This is a mature believer that's living in the Word of God. And so he's going to God and, and he's not lying about any of this. God knows the truth of all of this. But when we call upon God, He will answer. Why would He not answer? He's promised to answer. And the blessings of calling upon God means, in the, think about it in terms of the angelic conflict, he could say, I've called upon you, not that snake, not that counterfeit. I am rejecting the God of this age because I'm calling upon you, Lord. You will answer me. And this is the, the, the blessing that we have as his children to do this. Wondrously, show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. See, there's going to be conflict. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. All right? And so when you're in this kind of conflict, when you're under this kind of struggle, absolutely. You go to the Lord in prayer and demand that He pays attention. (laughs) All right? Anyway, like I say, I, I, I get it. I understand. There's a, there's a sense in which you might feel like this is impertinent or that this is uh, disrespectful or this is wrong or inappropriate to whatever degree. But we've seen it um, several times and we're going to see it several more times. And the more and more we, we, we read these kind of verses, we realize this is kind of common. This is kind of expected. This is appropriate. And then, <laughs> if anything else, then it humbles us all the more to think, wow, God has given us this kind of intimacy, this kind of access, this kind of privilege, that He has charged us to do this. Like when Jesus teaches on the, the unrighteous judge and the, important, uh, the, the prayers there, the impertinent prayers, that you just keep pestering, pestering, pestering. We have a license to pester. He's given us a license to pester. And if we don't pester, then we're disobedient in our prayer life. That's Psalm 17. How about Psalm 31? Another Davidic prayer. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Whatever test you're going through, I I tell you, no believer that's ever trusted in Jesus Christ has ever been disappointed, has ever looked back with regret and said, man, I really shouldn't have trusted the Lord with that. 
<laughs> you know, man, I really regret trusting God in that test. I, I should have just I should have just relied on my own understanding. I should have just, uh, you know, fixed it myself. If you want, okay, nobody has ever done that. No one has ever. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Lean not on your own understanding, right? In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps. No one who ever trusts in the Lord will ever be disappointed. You know, it's like no one that ever, um, no one ever regretted being a virgin on their wedding night. Said, man, I really regret not uh, being immoral in my youth. Okay? No one ever looked back with hindsight at, at morality and lamented that they made bad choices. Okay? You always rejoice over the good choices you make in God's wisdom. So in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. All right, now of course we're finite creatures and we want the answers now. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with saying, rescue me quickly. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. <laughs> and 2,000 years later, He still is coming quickly. So when we pray for a quick rescue, you know, understand it's on God's timetable. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. For your name's sake. Is God going to let down His own name? God's not answering prayer because we've earned it or deserved it. He's answering prayer because He defends His own name. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. When we ask for a fish, is He going to give you a snake? You ask for a loaf of bread, is He going to give you a, a stone? You're asking the God who loves you and gave His Son to provide for you eternal life. He has placed His righteousness in your account. He will defend that. He will defend His own name. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. You think uh, Does that verse sound familiar, by the way? Into your hand I commit my spirit. <laughs> okay? I mean, this is the doctrine that will sustain us in any test of life. Look how Jesus used it when He was on the cross. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Psalm 71. doesn't have the Davidic prescript. It just says prayer of an old man for deliverance. <clears throat> I don't dispute that. It's not God breathed and inspired. It's just a pericope heading. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. For you have given commandment to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and ruthless man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. All right, so this is where the pericope heading comes from. Whoever wrote the psalm isn't the young guy that he used to be. And God has been with him every step of the way. You are my hope. 
Yeah, I've got one. <clears throat> I just hate drinking water. <clears throat> it's the dumbest thing in the world. <clears throat> All right. Back to Scripture. <clears throat> Verse 5. <clears throat> o Lord God, You are my confidence from my youth. By You I have been sustained from my birth. You are He who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually in You. I have become a marvel to many, for You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off at the time of my old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me and those who watch for my life have consulted together. That's curious. We don't know who this author is. It may be David, but whoever this author is, he's clearly he's an old man and he's looking back. I have become a marvel to many. In some respects, our testing gets lengthened because of those that get to observe us pass the test. And the test may be not even be about us. But God is using us as an example so that He can demonstrate His faithfulness and demonstrate His provision, demonstrate His grace. So sometimes the test is not about us at all. We just have to submit and thank the Lord for His faithfulness and keep our eyes fixed where they need to be. All right, Psalm 86. This one is Davidic. A prayer of David. I think it's useful sometimes to, to spotlight which of these pericopes <clears throat> actually belong in the Scriptures. For example, this one here, a prayer of David, is uh, right there, to Hillelah David. So it's in the Hebrew manuscript, it belongs um, the New American Standard kind of didn't versify it, just put it up there as a heading. It is versified in the Hebrew though as verse 1. So yeah, a prayer of David belongs in there. But this other thing, a psalm of supplication and trust, that's, uh, that's the Lockman Foundation. That's your Bible publisher that put that blurb in there. <clears throat> Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So this is what I'm talking about. This is where when we're going to God in prayer, we're deliberately turning our back on Satan. We're deliberately turning our back on this fallen world, on the cosmos system, on all those fallen angels, the liars, starting with Satan and everyone else that said, I will be like the Most High God. We're going to God in prayer. He is the one we're trusting in. And if he hears us and if he answers, that's his business when he chooses to answer. And it might be that what he gives will be different than what I asked for. That's fine. 
If I'm asking for the wrong thing, then give the right thing. Okay? <clears throat> because we are not going to turn to the alternative. We're not going to uh, abandon the God who created us, the God who saved us, the God who loves us. <clears throat> so there's no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor is there any work like yours. The na- all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name. So the nations will be doing this. Starting in the millennium, they'll be forced to do this. Uh, on the new earth, they're going to want to do this. And as they come and as they glorify, as they finish the course that each Gentile nation has assigned to them, then uh, the angels that observe them will be gradually, one by one, will be uh, uh, done away. They will be abolished when that role is complete. So all the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. So there's, again, incline your ear and hear. Incline your ear and answer me. Psalm 86. How about Psalm 88? Is this overkill? Say, uh, all right, you made the point, I get it. Well, over and over and over and over again. I'm trying to emphasize what the Holy Spirit is emphasized by putting it in all these places and all these chapters. If the Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire it and put it in 50 places, I want to see all 50 places. All right. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director. According to Mahalath Leonuth, whatever that is, it's probably a musical instrumentation or a, a style of music. A maskil of Heman the Ezraite. So it's a skillful, didactic, contemplative song by Heman the Ezraite. One of the wise guys, by the way, that Solomon was wiser than. But this guy's got some, uh, got some wisdom. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. So this, this means it's not just a quickie prayer, he's over and done with it, but he's continuing to pray all day, all night. He continues to, uh, to plead before the Father. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength. So this sounds pretty serious. <laughs> that he's on the verge of death and most other people consider that he already is dead. He might as well be dead. He's that close to it. There's no rescue for this guy. <clears throat> At least that's what other people are assuming. Forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, cut off from your hand. For you have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. So this guy's going through it. Absolutely going through it. But he's still, as long as he has breath to keep complaining, he's taking it to the Lord. Asking for the Lord to answer. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? <clears throat> you know, this is kind of interesting. The way that he keeps praying, he's, he's like t- telling the Lord, you know, you're running out of time. <laughs> if you're going to answer, you better answer now because, you know, once I'm dead, then the, the prayer life is done. 
You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Now he never stops. He never stops. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Those are the Rephaim. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? And he's, he's kind of asking these rhetorical questions as if the answer is no, and yet it's kind of curious to me to consider maybe he's throwing it out there saying, okay, <laughs> maybe when I get to Sheol then I'll see some, some kind of wonder to behold. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So yeah, he's not stopping. He's not stopping. I like that. So that's Psalm 88. Psalm 102. Does not say that it's Davidic. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Again, telling God what to do. Listen to this prayer. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. You know, Lord, I'm not telling you how fast you've got to answer this prayer, but I'm running out of time. I'm on the verge of death. My bones have been scorched like a heart. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I become like a lonely bird on the housetop. And yet, he continues to pour out his case before the Lord. See, this is the difference. This is, this is a true, legitimate lamentation. Yes, you've got problems, but you're giving them to God. You're not giving up on your prayer life. All right, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. And you think about this. This is a love relationship. This is a, an application whereby God communicates to us, we communicate to God. It's our blessing as His children to grow in His Word and to talk to Him, to lay these matters before Him. The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. O Lord, I beseech you, do save. Do save. We have some, uh, the, um, there's this one, and then there's uh, Psalm 118, and there's a couple of these. Uh, save now. The, the cry of Hosanna. The cry of, uh, of the children in, in when uh, Jesus came in on Palm Sunday or Palm Monday to uh, enter Jerusalem on the colt. Oh yeah. <laughs> I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said I am greatly afflicted. See that's a prayer. That's a faith prayer. You, you are trusting even when you are voicing the need, even when you are lamenting. You are still in faith. 
believing. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Welcome to 2021 America. (laughs) You know? And you wonder, do I believe this person? Do I believe that person? Do I believe this other person? I'm getting five different answers from five different sources. And I'm starting to think that every last one of them is lying through their teeth. And then you kind of despair and you think, hmm, who has truth? God has truth. Let's start with that. God be found true, though every man a liar. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation. I shall call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. The psalmist is speaking about himself on the verge of death. Saying, all right, I'm going to keep calling to the Lord. All right. So that's Psalm 116. And then Daniel 9.18. Daniel 9.18. And he knows that uh, Jerusalem, the opening here in Daniel 9, he's in Bible class, he's reading the book of Jeremiah, he finds out, you know, and he knew this anyway, but he's uh, observing in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel realizes that time is up. He was a boy when they captured him and took him to Babylon. Now 70 years later, <laughs> he realizes, this is in the first year of Darius, the, uh, the Mede, he realizes, you know what? How can Israel, how can the Jews be restored to Jerusalem when they're still just as idolatrous and wicked as they were 70 years ago? And he says, we got a problem. <laughs> you know, uh, 70 years and, and we're going to start having people returning and, and we're still ignoring the word, the word of the Lord. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He took upon Himself a concentrated season of fervency. I think this is uh, you know, similar to n- next year in our Through the Bible series. We're going to have a season of concentrated fervency. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And he's going to become a national intercessor, confessing the sins of his people. I said, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. Talk about becoming an intercessory confessor, confessing the sins of your people. Are we pleading for the, the harlotry of America? committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have a culture that hates the Word of God and doesn't pay attention to it. I suspect our culture would be very benefited if more congregations were locked in on the doctrine that God has given for us to study and learn. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. God is righteous and we're not. (laughs) To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them, 
because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. So Israel is scattered. Uh, the, the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom by the Babylonians, and now all 12 tribes of Israel are scattered abroad the face of the earth. And they deserve it. It's divine discipline, deserves suffering. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teaching. And indeed, all Israel has transgressed. Verse 12, thus he confirmed his words. You know, putting us in captivity was more testimony to God's faithfulness. He's faithful when he blesses us, and he's faithful when he disciplines us. He's faithful both ways. I recommend you observe his faithfulness and blessing. <laughs> Obey the word of God. Do, it, do what he's told you to do. Watch his faithfulness in that respect. Because if you defy his command, he's still faithful. He's just faithful to discipline you as a son that he loves. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. He says, still to this day we have not repented. How bad does it have to get in a nation? How bad does America have to get before believers wake up and get serious? Therefore the Lord has kept calamity in store and brought it on us. And there's more on the way. And now, O Lord, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt, and now you've got to bring us back. You said 70 years. So now, O Lord God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. We are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, <laughs> but on account of your great compassion. To me, this is, this is the essence of why we can order God, tell him what to do. We can order him to listen because that's what he's promised to do. He's promised to listen. So when we order him to listen, we're simply ordering him to do what he's already promised to do. Not for our sake, not for our merits, we're not saying listen to me because I'm worthy or you deserve or I deserve your attention. Not for any merits of our own. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So when you know these things, when you know the plan of God, when you know the word of God, you're able to pray with this effectiveness. The book of Jeremiah contains eight indictments against Judah for not inclining their ear to hear the Lord. The book of Jeremiah contains eight indictments against Judah for not inclining their ear to hear the Lord. And this is, of course, leading up to their national destruction. And I would suspect that America is far worse. I would expect that we have not listened either. And if we were to be destroyed tomorrow, it would not shock me in the slightest. Would not shock me in the slightest. I'm hearing things. 
Okay. Almost done. Five minutes to go. So write these verses down because if I run out of time you're going to want to look at them. Jeremiah 7 verses 24 and 26. Jeremiah 11 8. 17 23. 25 4. 34 14. 35 15. 44 5. Every one of those passages uses the idiom that we have in Proverbs 22. We were talking about inclining the ear. And Judah didn't do it. Judah didn't do it. If a nation is uh, struggling, the answers are not military, they're not economic, they're not political. Do we have an ear to hear? Are we inclining our ear? Are Americans listening to the Lord? If we're not listening to the Lord, why do we expect to still be here? Okay? Um, I'm just going to take one side trip because I'm out of time and we can't read all eight of those indictments. The, um, in Acts 17 when Paul is preaching about the unknown God and he says, hey, listen up, God is nearby and He's knowable. The God who made the world and all things in it since He is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So all of humanity is Adamic. All of humanity descends from Adam and Eve. From one man, from one blood. Alright? That's why we, you know, that's why racism is stupid, that's why all the rest of the stuff is useless. He made from one man every nation of mankind. Now notice, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So that means the nations that have little boundaries or nations that have big boundaries or whatever the case may be, God's in charge of all of that. When a nation is born and when a nation dies, God is in charge of all of that. All right. Can anybody hear that? Am I the only one hearing my phone ring? Okay. All right. What I want to do, I, I need to close for this, but determining their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, notice though, that they would seek God. If a nation is not positive at God consciousness, if a nation is not positive to Bible doctrine, they don't need to be here. Okay? If they've opened their doors to missionaries or if they've closed their doors to missionaries, I think we can track uh, so many countries in Africa when they shut down the missionaries, look at the divine judgment that then followed. But when they were positive to missionaries, look at the blessings that followed. Same thing with America. Are we seeking God? Groping for him, finding him. He's not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. Here he quotes a pagan poet. Because he's making a doctrinal point that's biblical. Anyway, that they would seek God. Heavenly Father, I pray for the United States of America that we would be seeking God. That, Father, you might be gracious and spare this destruction that's presently underway. Father, uh, 
I pray that Austin Bible Church and other lampstands around this country will get serious. I thank you for the 2022 year that we're planning even now. I pray that you bless those preparations, that you bless the the editing and the rewrite of that 20-year-old notebook, that you prepare for the, the 365 classes that we're intending in the coming year. That, Father, you would stoke a greater appetite amongst our brothers and sisters to open our eyes, to open our ears, to soften our hearts, to incline those ears. Give us the eagerness. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.